the cup and the leaf all to be one. Everyone knows there's a job to be done and with a team so fine. I'm proud they're mine. We'll be singing the song. Dunfermline Athletic Former Players Association podcast is sponsored by Starna Apparel. Affordable and stylish clothing born on the terraces. Listeners of this podcast can get 10% off their order by using code PODCAST at the checkout. Just head to www.starnaapparel.co.uk. Welcome to episode 13 of the Dunfermline Athletic Former Players Association podcast, Walking Down the Hallbeath Road where we will reminisce about yesteryear and the players who've been lucky enough to wear the famous black and white stripes. I'm your host, Mikey Mokkevich, and on this episode, we speak to a player who had two spells with the club, playing 65 times and scoring 22 goals. He would play for Birmingham City in the English Premier League at just 17 years of age, when he came off the bench against Leicester City. He played under the likes of Steve Bruce, Colin Hendry, Jim Jeffries, Dick Campbell and Craig Brewster throughout his career. And we chat about all of that and a lot more in this podcast. So sit back and grab a bovril and enjoy this one with Andy Barriman. Right, Andy, thanks for joining us on the podcast. First and foremost, how are you getting on? Good, yeah. Life's good. Busy. Um, but no, it's good. Enjoying it. Brilliant. Good to see you, mate. So we'll start at the, the very beginning. So you're born the 27th of November 1984 in Wishaw. So just tell us a little bit about your childhood and your early memories of, of football. Um, yeah, pretty similar. Kind of most boys ends up sort of playing football as a, as a profession, just growing up, playing with my pals um, on the street. Like, I don't think that kind of happens nowadays. It's all kind of organised and my wee boy, he doesn't really play football on the street. They go to clubs and different organised events. But back then it was just... From morning to the streetlights went on at night, you're just playing football with your pals and you were learning the game, but at that time you didn't know you were learning. You weren't, in your mind, you weren't practicing, you were just playing football with your pals and having fun. Yeah. Um, but when you think about you talk about the thousand hours and all that, at that time you were getting the thousand hours just having fun. So, no, it was good. And from an early age, I was obviously boys' club and sort of been discovered with Rangers, scouted, and I was in there since the age of eight. So, pretty much from the age of eight, I was sort of two nights a week, three nights a week, going into Ibrox and it was the AstroTurf across from Ibrox. My dad did all the running about and lifting me here, there and everywhere to get me to training and games and that was pretty much my life. Uh, sort of a big sacrifice but again yeah. at the time you don't even think you're sacrificing anything, yeah. you're having fun with your pals um, up to the age of 16 and then it become you yeah. know, serious and actually a job. So what was it like at eight years old playing for a club at Rangers and getting inside Ibrox and... Aye, it was great. I mean, we actually changed in the way change room. Like, unbelievable. It wouldn't happen now. You would never get that sort of access. But we actually, at the younger age group, so we all get changed in Ibrooks and went across and, and trained on the AstroTurf across the road. Um, so you were in Ibrooks. I was in Ibrooks three nights a week. I grew up, like, just walking about the corridors in Ibrooks. And you, obviously you weren't allowed on the pitch or anything like that. There was sort of restricted bits where you couldn't go. But, but basically you spent three nights a week in, mm. in the... In a, 
in a sanctum of Ibrook so no it was good and looking back on it now it just became normal but when you think about people being allowed that sort of access as I say it wouldn't, it wouldn't happen now mm-hmm. there was no Murray Park or whatever it's called nowadays um, that didn't exist back then it was it literally yeah. was Ibrooks was the facility that you used brilliant and who was that Rangers Around your age group when you between that period uh, players wise so Alan Hutton was there he came later he wasn't there from the kind of early age Stephen Smith left back was my age we actually played boys club together as well so we'd came through it was Aberdeen boys club and then we'd went to to, to Rangers for pro youth um, lots of other players but never really any ones that sort of made the grade at Rangers or mm-hmm. some went on to have a career lower leagues and things like that but there was no one really that actually Charlie Adam um, was our age group and then when the, the age rule uh, changed he could drop down so he right. was like the oldest and the younger younger thing we and Darren Fletcher was our age group as well but he was always he, although he played with Rangers he was always going to Man United and right. Arsenal and obviously ultimately signed with Man United but he was yeah. he was there as well so hi there was plenty plenty of good talent it was the best Brilliant. of the best really so, so to speak and did you have chances to go to other clubs during that period as well do you have trials and I did yeah I mean I, I'd signed uh, S form early early with Rangers so you sort of commit to them I don't know what they call it now there'll be there'll be something it'll be something different form but you sort of commit to that club and then at the age of 14 you can sign S form um, so I, I did that quite early um, I don't know what I'd have been 10 11 years old when I'd sort of committed to Rangers so then you're there and then you've got your S form when you sign when you're 14 um, but I laterally when it came to the, the time to actually leave school and go full time I went to two or three English clubs Newcastle Leeds United and then also ultimately Birmingham mm-hmm. where I ended up going and signing with yep so when you were 16 in 2002 Steve Bruce as a manager at Birmingham and you go down there it was actually Trevor Francis was the manager when I first signed um, right. he was I don't know a couple of months with the time down there he got the sack and Steve Bruce came in but it was actually him that uh, was the manager at the time um, so I it was as I say it was I'd been in a couple of different clubs Birmingham were the championship at the time I felt I went down there enjoyed myself the, the, the sort of couple of weekends I'd spent down there just felt it was a big club but not too big to kind of make the breakthrough Leeds United had just been to the semi-final of the Champions League they're spending millions on players Newcastle again massive club and you're thinking that it Am I going to get an opportunity? Is there going to be a pathway to get anywhere near the first team? Never mind mm-hmm. make the grade sort of thing. So I just felt Birmingham was right. I got a good feel about it. They made me feel very, very wanted. And I ultimately, I chose there as my way to go and kind of learn, learn the game. What was it like going down there first and foremost? Like when you're 16, are you, obviously you've been at Rangers, massive club, but then going down south, totally different. Obviously, you're away from home as well. Ah, it was a big. It was it was bigger. Probably at that time, you you actually didn't really realise how big a deal it was. You know, you're going to second biggest city in in, in the UK, and it was just a big adventure for me. Mm. It probably harder for my mum and dad. Now being a parent, I can sort of understand what that would feel yeah. like. But for me, it was just a big adventure. I was going to be a professional footballer. I was going to play football for a living. Um, at, I don't know a big club in down south, so it never really phased me <clears throat> at all. Really, I was just looking forward to it. And you're going playing against Man Uniteds and Liverpools and Arsenal. And it, it was brilliant. It was like a big adventure. Were you, you travelling with the first team at 16, 17? No, I tra- I started. I made well my very first. I was I went on loan to Crew 
Um, they were a championship mm-hmm. when I was 18, I think. Yeah. I, I quite quickly kind of moved through. I scored a lot of goals at sort of under 17s and then quickly in my first season got moved to 19s and then did well in 19s. So I was, I was moved up the, the levels pretty quickly. So by 18, I was sort of training with the first team every day and getting changed in the changing room. I went on loan to Crew <clears throat> in the championship. I actually got recalled, Birmingham with a few injuries, so they recalled me early, and then I was kind of on the bench and travelling most weeks that that um, that season, um, and only kind of making the, the one appearance mm-hmm. in the Premiership. But yeah, we'll I was talk involved. You on that. I was involved. At, aye, I was involved. Sort of weekly travelling and brilliant. You spoke about crew there. You go on loan. <laughs> and you actually scored your first goal in league football. Do you remember that one? I do. Yeah, I went the midweek and we played a game. I think it was against. I can't remember. Was it Derby or something? Bradford. My debut was against aye. Bradford, and then on the Saturday I scored against Derby. That, yep. that was what it was. Aye. So aye. I had come on the last, I don't know, I'd, I'd only signed <clears throat> that day, <clears throat> excuse me, and it was kind of whirlwind. I'd went there, I hadn't met the players, we were on the bench mm. through on the last 20 minutes. Came in the weekend, obviously started the game, scored pretty quickly, 20 minutes or something in the game. Um, so that was good, good, good start as a young boy. You mm. want to kind of make your name, and mum and dad had travelled down for the games. Brilliant. <clears throat> And uh, yeah, it was good. It was a good goal as well, when I remember. Super. Before we go back to Birmingham, you had another couple of loan spells <coughs> at Blackpool and Mansfield. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about your time at Blackpool, because Colin Hendry was the manager, obviously a legend in Scottish <coughs> football. He was, aye, and that's why I went there, to be honest. Um, I had a few other options to go. Maybe people would have looked at better clubs in, in terms of where they were in league positions and all mm-hmm. that. But aye, I kind of went to Blackpool because Colin Hendry, you know, Scottish yeah. connection. I thought it would be a good one for me. Um, ultimately kind of didn't work out that way and Colin Hendry wasn't such a hero after that period <laughs> so to speak but, um, but I, you know, it was, that was kind of the big attraction in going mm. there He seemed to be someone who struggled with management didn't he? He did, uh, he was very you know I think he's a big character and, and you can see that when he was on the field and then even his off field stuff you know he, he's, he's not shy um, he backs himself but I think in a, a managerial situation it, um, it didn't really work for him yeah. I don't think that that sort of arrogance, if you like, really rubbed it. The players didn't really take to it sort of thing. They found it hard to, my experience anyway, at Blackpool. I know he managed a couple of other clubs and stuff, but mm-hmm. aye, I didn't really suit him, in my opinion. He, he, wasn't, yeah. he, wasn't, um, he wasn't very good at it. No. <laughs> and you mentioned earlier, after the loan spells, you then return at 17, you return to Birmingham, and you're on the bench for a Premier League game against Leicester City. Yeah. Again, I'd kind of been on the fringes. I'd been travelling and stuff. I was on the bench before that. That was the first time I came on. I was my first time on the bench was at Stamford Bridge actually against Chelsea. We drew 0 0 in the game. And then I think it was maybe a couple of weeks later I was at Leicester. And I actually the manager's sort of warming up and the manager's kinda of called me back and you're looking about going, you can't be speaking to me. And, <laughs> and I'm sure it was. We're obviously chasing a goal and I think we end up four up front at the time. Yeah. Um so I come on and aye, it was a dream. Everybody dreams of playing in the premiership. We'd watch match of the day and all that. And it was just uh, it was a dream come true. It was eight minutes, but it was still so eight minutes that uh, hundreds of thousands of other boys and, and, and girls dream of, dream of mm. making their debut. So I suppose at that age, at 17, you kind of think, <clears> this <throat> is just the norm for me. This is my life. But yeah. now looking back, it must oh, be it quite crazy. surreal, really. It is. It was crazy. That. It is. Uh, again, you just become normal. I was actually... <clears throat> I tell that story a few times I was actually disappointed to see if I was on the bench and I didn't get on mm-hmm. like I was angry like you know that because you're, you're in that you're not thinking oh this is great I'm, I'm here like this is a great achievement you're actually looking at it and going 
I should, he should have put me on earlier. I should have been put me on. Why am I not starting? Like yeah. people like Clinton Morrison and Emil Heskey and Christoph Dugarry are all playing ahead of you, but in your yeah. mind you're you're so focused on succeeding and and and, and getting on in the game. Mm. You probably didn't really take it in and, and appreciate it at the time because you're just yeah. you're just hell bent on on being a success. Yeah. So that's one thing I probably regret a wee bit. But at the time, it was probably the right attitude. Mm. That's what you want. You want boys striving to come in and. Think they're better than what's in, in there yeah. and go and try and prove it. Uh, so I, not, it was great. And looking back on it, and when you get older in life and you can appreciate these things, you realise some of the places I've been and some of the things I've done, and you know the people that, that I train with every day mm. and learn from. It was it was unbelievable, really. Um, looking back on it, but at the time, I yeah, probably yeah. don't 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 really give it the merit it deserves. Yeah, and look, you mentioned some of the, the the players there. I was looking at the lineup for that game, so. You had Mick Taylor in goals, Northern Ireland International. You have Matt Upson, former Arsenal, played for England. Kenny Cunningham, Irish mm. International. Irish captain, yeah. You had Robbie Savage. <laughs> he played for Wales. What was Robbie like? He was good. Uh, oh, he was. He, he terrorised you if you walked into the, the room. If you, he was in the canteen and you walked in there, like you, you tried to get out as quickly as possible. <laughs> he just terrorised the young boys. But you know what? He was really good, actually, with the young boys. He would give you sort of stinking, but he would also look after you and... And help you and, and you know make you feel mm. part of it and stuff. But I was a bit of a nightmare at first. He was he would always he would always slaughter you. I liked a, a sunbed back in the day, yeah. and he <laughs> he just could not because I was a Scotsman with a, a suntan. He used to just think this was brilliant, and he used to just slaughter me for it. But and I used to say, "Well, you go in the sunbeds." And he said, "But I've played two hundred times in the Premier League." Yeah. So that was his comeback. So I kind of shut Fair him enough, up on yeah. that one. I. And then up front that day, Clinton Morrison played for Ireland, <clears throat> and then uh, Mikel Forsell played for Chelsea in Finland. Yeah. So some some team, eh? Ah, they, they were. It, it, it kind of exploded when I went to Birmingham. As I say, they were a big club, but without being that big. But then first year we got promoted to the Premiership, and everything just went crazy. And all the Christoph Dugarry World Cup mm. winner came in and. Mikel Forsell was, was unbelievable but for a, a dodgy knee he would have been a top top player like his ability was ridiculous um, I think he scored something like 20 goals that season for Birmingham and a, and a relatively poor Birmingham side for that standard um, he, he was different class he could have played at a, I know he played for Chelsea and other clubs but he yeah. could have been a top top yeah. striker his finishing was, was ridiculous um, so aye but it was great you were learning from these guys I'd stay behind every day and do finishing with mm -hmm. Mikel like, uh, what I learned and picked up obviously stood me in good stead. Matty Upson was great with me, um, you know, in terms of gym work and how he lived his life off the pitch and that I just copied him. I did what he did off the pitch and, mm -hmm. and again, I, I continued with the rest of my career. I still did the same things that I'd picked up from him as a 17, 16, 18-year-old boy. So. Yeah. See, when you were that age, were you, like you said there, about double sessions, were you putting the work in or do you look yeah. back now as a youngster and think I should have done more or were you quite dedicated at I was I, I was I think something I kind of pride myself I was a, I was a good pro you know mm -hmm. I wasn't I didn't have the outstanding ability in terms of dribble past four or five players and sticking to the top corner but I was very dedicated to my to my profession and I lived mm -hmm. my life right and I did everything to give myself the best chance so I was a, I was always the fittest at yeah. every club I was at and I, I really took a pride in doing that so I did that I, I still had fun. I was an eighteen-year-old boy in the fringes of a Premiership squad in Birmingham, so I still enjoyed myself. But I, I did. I really dedicated myself, and I would. Always, I was always wanting to learn and improve and get fitter, get stronger, and everything that I could do to yep. give myself the best chance. 
uh, making it at that it. level. Yeah. Brilliant. And Steve Bruce, your manager, came in, <clears> as you said. What, what's Steve Bruce like to work for? Great. Um, as I say, kind of took a shine to me <clears throat> quite early on. I was always involved in the, probably his, maybe not the first season when we got promoted, but the, certainly the first season in the Premiership. I sort of trained with him. I went away pre-season with him. He just kind of took a shine to me. He liked me, moved me into the first team dressing room. Um, so he was great for me. In terms of a manager, he wasn't like on the training field. He wasn't a coach. He was a man manager. Mm-hmm. Very. I mean, some days he wouldn't even come out. On it. He had good assistants like Matt Bowen and then Eric Black. So yeah. he had good assistants. He had a really good team around him, and he he was just the kind of motivator. He'd come out on a Friday and do for work on shape or things like that. That's when he was. He kind of came to his own. He, he, he players would run through a brick wall for him. He was a proper man manager. Yeah. Um, and he was great. But as I say, with me, he was. He, he really gave me a foot up in my career and kind of took that chance off on me. Gave me my my first and my second professional contract. And um, so I, I've got nothing to, other than to be thankful for what he kind of did Brilliant. for me. Learned a lot from him. Superb. And during that period, uh, your international career. <laughs> You were involved in Scotland under 19, so what was that? What was that experience like, and who was involved at Scotland during that time? Again, so it was like Darren Fletcher, Craig Beatty, um, sort of Paul Lawson, who ended up playing later in my career. Um, it was a good, we had a good squad. Uh, went away to the European Championship. I think being down south, I think it's more common now, but it tended to be there wasn't very many Scottish players down south that were getting selected for. I think now they kind of look further afield and. Even if they're not Scottish, if they've got a Scottish granny, they'll go and play them and they'll put them in the yep. Scotland 19s and stuff. But at that point, it didn't really happen. So it was Donald Park actually was working in the setup at the SFA at the time. And he would come down and watch me. He, he spent a lot of time and I think it was him that sort of pushed me forward and tried to... Obviously, I was on the fringes of the first team, so that would have probably alerted the kind of the SFA or whatever. But it was him that kind of didn't... Clock got the miles and would come and I, I yep. would turn up on a Saturday morning playing for the under 19s at I don't know Bolton at their training ground and you look across and Donald Park would be standing in the corner like there was no other Scottish players on the pitch yep. so he kind of knew he was he was watching and keeping tabs so it just kind of came from there and managed to kind of break into the squad and aye that's that's where it kind of went from there aye Brilliant and then you leave Birmingham and you come back up to Scotland you join Kilmarnock mm-hmm. what was the experience at Kilmarnock like? Uh, to be honest, I'd sort of been in that bubble at, at, at Birmingham um, and you're kind of spoiled. It's kind of everything's done for you, it's laid in a play. It's okay, I was on the fringes of the first team, but I was never a first team player really. I was yeah. always a wee bit protected. You come out of that environment, you go into a dressing room, you've got Jim Jeffries and Billy Brown shouting at you and screaming at you, and it, guys that are actually playing for a livelihood and win mm-hmm. bonuses. and it was completely different and it, it kind of spooked me a wee bit I probably wasn't ready although I was what was 21 maybe even 22 at the time yeah I wasn't I'd never played first team football I was never a first team player really so I I wasn't ready for it um, I went into that environment and never really done done anything that I would sort of be proud of there and obviously went out alone and whatever and yeah. it took me till after that when I then go on in Ross County that's when I probably first my first Right, I was a first team player and I was really an important member of what yeah. happened on a Saturday so so yeah. I, it, was, it probably came a bit too early for me even though I was 21, 22 in yeah. terms of my experience in football yeah, it's it was game time. Yeah. too much too soon for me probably I and I wasn't yeah. ready for it so you had a wee loan spell at Queen of the South mm-hmm. um, and then you join Ross County where it does start to happen for you it's yeah. Dick Campbell who signed you <clears throat> I it was Dick Campbell George Adams was there as director of football 
Um, so it was George I'd sort of met initially, and then I travelled up and uh, Dick had just got the job as well. So, so I hadn't really met Dick until actually my first day of pre-season. It was the first time it was George Adam, Adams I'd kind of met, and it's the first time I met him. He actually had a bit of a go at me. He's like, "You should be higher in your career," and. You know, you've underachieved, and not normally you go and meet a manager or, or whatever, and they're trying to like butter you up all and get you signed. Stuff, yeah. It wasn't. It was completely obvious, and I actually quite liked that. It mm. was like, oh, that, that's that's they want the best for me, and I can yeah. go there and kickstart my career again and develop. And obviously, Dick's still speak to him now. He, yeah. He's tried to sign me about five times after that, <laughs> all the different clubs. So it was great. It was good fun. Um, never really kind of worked out from at Ross County, but I still enjoyed my time. And yep. he brought in Stuart Petrie who. To this day, is a good a good friend, and uh, ah, it was good times. It was obviously a great season on the pitch for us with a, yeah. a good side, and a lot of players kind of went on and kicked. It. Ross County did it by design. They signed players like me who had maybe had a wee setback in their career and needed somewhere to go for a platform to go and kick yep. on again. And as I said, they done it deliberately. They signed players like points me. to prove, really points to prove exactly. So they had a hungry squad. Um, so I worked well for me, and mm. and obviously kind of relaunched my career again. Brilliant and Dick Campbell. Before we, we move on with that, any funny stories that you can tell us? That clean. Ah, was that every day? Was was there <laughs> something else? You know the usual the usual sort of team talks and stuff that he comes out with. But I, I think a funny story was when he got sacked. We it was a Monday, and we were top of the league, clear by a cut. I don't know seven points, something mm-hmm. like that. And we drawn drawn at home on the Saturday. Um, I can't mind to it again. Not a great result, but not a bad result. We're still keeping our lead at the top. And we were in the gym on a Monday afternoon, uh, gym session. So we were all up there and it was the SP that was taking it or whatever. And Dick just walked into the gym and says, right lads, that's me, I've been sacked, all the best. And just walked back out of the gym. And all the boys are going, is this one of his jokes? Is this <laughs> like one of his? But no, sure enough, he'd been sacked. Wow. Was sitting top of the league and he'd been sacked. Obviously George Adams was director of football, his son then gets a the job. Yeah. So there was a bit of that going about. Um, but I was just like, surreal, we're all looking at each other going, has he really? And, it wasn't until we'd finished our gym session we go back down and, and you go, I we has been sat. He's realised. That was that. Well, that season, 2007, <laughs> 2008, you played 33 games, scored 24 goals, and they won the second division. 29. 29 goals. 29 goals I scored, yes. Tremendous. And 33 games? Yep, 29 goals. Uh, Amazing. Mm-hmm. So you then, Erna moved to Inverness. Yep. So what, what was what was that like and how did that come about? Um, so obviously I'd been scoring goals, so I had quite a lot of options. There was a lot of Premier League teams and that were, what, Wanting me and for early yep. on in, in the January, but I just had offered been a, offered a few pre contracts, but I just really because I'd sort of it was my first season. I just wanted to no distraction. I didn't want to go and sign with another club at that point. I just wanted to see out the season, see what happened, score as many goals as I could, and kind of put myself in the short window. So Craig Brewster was mm-hmm. a manager, another former bar, and yeah. he was um, manager of Inverness at the time, and he just really again made me feel wanted he was a striker quite similar styles to myself and and as of the kind of January uh, he was just always on he was coming to loads of my games if he could obviously been up there he was always like messaging me on a Saturday night or a Sunday night saying oh, another goal or another mm-hmm. two goals it was just, just constantly kept that contact just if he'd been to a game he'd say remember that one at the back post you should have did that or you know next day in that situation do that and I'm just going quite clever that eh? this guy can make me better like yeah. selfishly there okay it was a move to the Premier League and financially it was but I thought I can go there and become a better player under yeah. him so again that's why I chose Inverness wasn't he you know as I say there was bigger clubs and Dundee United and people like that that would offer me contracts but I never 
I just felt that Inverness mm-hmm. was right for me because of Craig Brewster basically I signed yep. them because of him um, and I that I made the move across the bridge yeah and you scored against Aberdeen on your debut I think yeah right? yeah yeah Audrey, I we won 2-0 we were excellent that day um, it was a dream start for me mm-hmm. you know we played I scored the, f- the first goal and I, I, again it was quite early on I always tended to kind of score on my debuts it was something throughout my career I just always kind of tend to do um, but aye it was a great start and good start for the, the team and, yeah. and everything we looked like a good side we had signed a couple of players and we looked as if we were going to have a, a good season mm-hmm. um, obviously it kind of didn't transpire that way but yeah. aye, it was a good start for me personally What was the reason it didn't work out for yourself and obviously Craig Brewster it was a really tough period for him wasn't it? Aye so we went we, we kind of went on a, a wee bit of slaying you know again in the rut of losing games it becomes hard to kind of get out of it yeah. and it just kind of happened to him and um, I don't think we lost the dressing room, but there was a lot of boys that had been there a lot of, a long time and were quite strong within the club, really, with the dressing room. They weren't bad lads, but they just had, had they weren't, they wouldn't say they kind of done anything sinister like Craig Brewster, but they were just quite a strong force collectively, local boys. And, and um, aye, it just, it, you could just see it coming, and it, it, the way it transpired, and Bruce started doing things that you wouldn't expect him to do and starting picking teams and you're going mm, that's not quite right and mm. and I as managers do the pressure gets them and it's it, it just kind of spiral, spiraled out of control we started doing silly things in training and <clears throat> he was just obviously trying things to get out of it and it just never worked and yeah. it was inevitable that he was going to go um, and he did eventually in the January I think and Terry Butcher coming <clears throat> yeah you then leave the club go back to Ross County so I didn't leave the club in that first instance um, right. Terry Butcher came in in the January we then got relegated um, so I'd been a bit part player by the January Terry Butcher just obviously didn't fancy me mm-hmm. and then come the summer we obviously had been relegated and he kind of pulled all the players in individually you know as I'd still had two years my contract I'd signed three years uh, and individually he's kind of pulling people in for meetings and he, he'd sort of said look you're proven goal scoring le- at, at that level and I want you to stay I want to build a team around you so you're thinking great this is what you want to hear um, even though I kind of hadn't played for him in six months but mm-hmm. Premiership you dropped down it, things changed so you're going great uh, Adam Rooney was there at the time and they actually told Adam Rooney he could go he had another year in his contract and he said look you're, you're no part of my plans you can leave so you're thinking great so I come back come back really fit pre-season hit the ground running thinking right here we go so that was fine did pre-season done okay in the pre-season game start the, start the season and we were getting beat I think it was the first game I think we were getting beat 3-0 from Partick Thistle at home mm. at half time and I got the hook he, he took me off at half time again I wasn't, wasn't playing well but I certainly wasn't at fault for getting beat 3-0 yeah. um, and he took me off and ever since that it just it just kind of went downhill and he just sort to obviously kind of took a dislike to me and then never played and, I, and I, they, I was on a good contract there, I was on a really good contract and they kind of wanted to me to go, they tried to free up the money to, to get me to go. Dunfermline had come in, Jim McIntyre at the time, but they couldn't get, agree a deal and it never kind of happened. Um, so I, I stayed there till the January mm-hmm. and I think it was the last day of the window that I eventually left Inverness, come to an agreement with them and I'd already agreed to sign for for Ross County again, um, so I yep. went straight from, I think it was like half past ten, I was sitting in my, my living room, deadline day, and I got a phone call from my agent to say, get yourself down to the, to the ground, I've agreed, I sort of sevens, so that was fine, I went straight from there to a hotel in Inverness and signed for Ross County. Wow. And, and Derek I, Adams, I take it? I was, I, Derek Adams was the manager there, and, and uh, 
Aye, I was back at Ross County. Yep. And they were flying at that point. You got to Scottish Cup final that season. <coughs> Aye, they were, they were riding high in the league. It was them and Inverness were one and two. They kind of swapped positions all season. I think the, with the cup games, it started creating a bit of a backlog of fixtures and we had a lot of games to catch up. And I think obviously when you go on a run like that, it, the focus kind of turns on that. It's not mm. like your players, you're intentionally doing it, but I think just subconsciously. So we kind of run out a bit of steam in the league. Um, otherwise, we, you know, we're right on course to kind of... Yeah. Probably if we hadn't had that cup run, we would have run Inverness closer to win the league that year. But obviously, we mm-hmm. go and create something really special with the Scottish Cup, so you're not going to say you would have taken it any other way. But aye, it was a good time go, to go back there. Actually, I would have been cup-tied for, for the Scottish Cup because yeah. I hadn't played. Terry Butcher, I wasn't even training with the first team. I was training on my own. He was just trying to, obviously... Pee me off to get me to go, yeah, to leave, yeah. and it was me and Roy McBain and uh, Graham Shinney actually was another one that was in the party's plans, and we were training separately, just ourselves with one of the coaches. Then something happened; somebody got injured, and we were playing Queen of South away in the Scottish Cup. I knew I was kind of leaving. It was like in January, so I knew something would probably happen. And he said, "Oh, you're you're, you're travelling. You're going to be on the bench. We're staying overnight." And I, I did <clears throat> sort of had a tight hamstring, so. My dad's saying like, oh, you, you don't don't go. Just tell him can train tomorrow and say your your hamstrings tight. You're not mm. you're not travelling. Like you've got to be selfish. And I'm like, nah, I can't do that. Like I'm yeah. a good pro and always pride myself on all that. And he's like, look, you've got to be selfish. Like we go to another club, you miss out. And thankfully, I listened uh, to my dad because yeah. I end up I would have missed all that Scottish Cup run if I'd went yeah. there and went down to Queen and South and played five minutes or whatever he would have gave exactly, me. So yeah. so I so I missed I missed the game and as I say a week later I, I moved to. To Ross County and the rest yeah. is history. And a famous result in that cup <coughs> run beating Celtic in the semi final. You aye. played in that, didn't you? I did die. I set up with both goals actually. Um aye, it was it was brilliant. We, again, going back to what kind of touched on, we had a squad full of young, hungry players who believed they could play at a higher level. There was a, a, a lot of belief in that that squad, call it arrogance or whatever, but boys actually believed they could play at premiership level. Um, so we actually went in that game stupidly thinking we could do something, which Celtic weren't in a very good time. Neil yeah. Lennon had just come in, Tony Mowbray, they had some players that probably weren't good enough to play for Celtic. But they still had like Robbie Keane and McGeadies mm-hmm. and people like that. So it was still a good side. But um aye, we, we believe in ourselves. And obviously the game starts and we're 0 0 at half time. And I, I remember being in the dressing room and we genuinely believe we could go and win that game at half time. We're sitting 0 0. It's crazy. There was a genuine no because sometimes you're as a player I've been there and you think, ah, we can get a result today. And, really at the back of your mind you're like yeah. you're, you're not really thinking that you're saying it but I genuinely in that dressing room especially at half time we felt we could we could win that game and obviously we you got did. the second half scored two goals and we did win the game brilliant and then playing in the cup final what was that like against Dundee United disappointing to be honest we kind of peaked at the semi-final that was our kind of cup final we never really showed up listen Dundee United were a good side they had good players uh, good Willie Conway you know uh, they Gomez, Boabin in the middle of the park, they had a right good side, so they were they, they beat us 3-0, it wasn't probably a 3-0 game, I think they scored the first goal after about an hour or something like that, and then they end up going on scoring another mm. two, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say they kind of completely cuffed us on the day, but we didn't show up, we didn't play anything like, I don't know if we had a shot and goal to be honest, so yeah. um, it was disappointing from that respect, but, and you're, you're gutted after the game and you don't really enjoy the occasion really because you're disappointed you've got beat it's only when you go away and a few days later obviously it's summer and you're sitting and you think well what we achieved it was mm-hmm. it was incredible really to, to yeah. get there but um, I disappointed probably in how the day 
panned out, but it was still an unbelievable occasion. Fifty five thousand yeah. Scottish Cup final. I think we've all run about the park as kids thinking they're going to score the winner. And it, it hammed in the Scottish Cup final. So to actually go and do it, it's something you'll never, you'll never kind of take away from the players that kind of achieved it. So no, it was good. Brilliant. And that ends your your time <coughs> Ross County. Then in June, you moved to Dunfermline, who have just been promoted to the SPL. Yeah. How did that come about? I the, the, Jim McIntyre had sort of been trailing us for a, a wee bit, and there'd been contact through the agents and, and everything like that, and and uh, so it kind of been on the horizon. But again, you're just kind of well, you're on a good run, and you just want to see out the season. I've always kind of didn't want to sort of commit too early, and there was a couple other clubs had come in for me as well at the same time. Falkirk were one. I'd met Stephen Presley, and he was really good, actually, really impressed. But I know I just felt right. Again, Jim McIntyre being a striker the way he kind of spoke to me and about my game and how he thinks he could have, he thought he could get a bit more out of me and do certain things and again probably selfishly I went there because he was a striker and I felt like mm-hmm. I could improve my game and he did to be fair I learned a lot from Jim McIntyre well, obviously in terms of the team and the club it didn't really go well on the pitch but I felt like Jim McIntyre made me a better yeah. player like I learned stuff from him that he would do and he wasn't the biggest, but he used his body very well. He was clever in the air, and he, he, I learned things from him that, yeah. that aye, as I say, it kind of made me a better player. Yeah. At the time, though, the film obviously <coughs> were, were flying. They just won the first division. Yeah. Everyone seemed to be on the up. But obviously, then the season the SPL was was really tough. It was. I I think he was probably too loyal to to the squad. I think he could have maybe mixed it up, and I, I'm pretty sure I've heard them say that since mm. that he, he should, could have maybe made more changes to the squad. Some of the guys were kind of older and it's a big step up and I don't know if he felt that they, they deserved their opportunity to, to go and play at that level but ultimately as a collective we weren't really good enough and we didn't win enough games of football and that's yeah. that's how it was. So uh, it was disappointing but still a, a great, you know, to be part of that and go and play in the, against good players and test yourself. It was, it was still yeah. enjoyable despite not winning the games yeah and your first goal for Dunfermline was in the League Cup do you remember that one it was Annan Annan I heard yeah. her aye front post aye I think that was my debut first aye, I think it was I the first game was, yeah. aye hey, Jim we've we done it really well actually I scored a few goals he, he had a couple of set piece routines it was like a block so Alex Keddy was he was a man mountain so he would just block everything so I, I started at the back post and I'd kind of run round and yeah, Alex Keddy would block my marker and I scored front post header and it, it worked, I scored against Aberdeen at East End, I mm-hmm. think. It was a reverse, I sprung on the back. And he just did, he was quite clever with his set piece, and we, yeah. we worked a lot on it. And it actually benefited me because I would always tend to be the kind of one that was on the end of it. So yeah. I, it, was a, it was a set piece routine from the training ground, and I, I managed to get across the front post and, and score. Aye. Brilliant. What players were at Dunfermline that, that season you were there? So Andy Kirk, uh, it was me and Kirky up front, um, obviously like David Graham and Andy Dowie, my brother-in-law, Alex Keddy, Martin Hardy, Kevin Rutkovic, who was kind of injured a lot. Same way with Martin Hardy. Ozzy McCann was captain. And then he'd sign boys like Paddy Boyle and, and people like that. So Paul Burns. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know it was a um, good squad, good 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 bunch of boys. We all got on really well. But again, ultimately, we just weren't good enough on the pitch, which is disappointing yeah. for everybody. Well, you scored seven goals that season. Is there any other <coughs> goals that, that stand out for you? Um, nah, I think nah, it was just uh, every goal as a, a, mm-hmm. as a goal I think that, that day at East End Park we beat Aberdeen yeah. I scored at the back post um, again like I said one of these set push routines mm-hmm. and I was a good we performed really well that day 
Aberdeen are a good side and they got some good players and we managed to beat them and we had some good results within there. But uh, we scored obviously away to Celtic at Parkhead. Yeah. I scored a good finish that day as well. So aye, there was lots of little snippets of good points within a disappointing season. Right? Yeah. And then obviously Jim McIntyre loses his job uh, the start <clears> of the following year and Jim Jeffries, who you'd worked with before, comes in. Aye, and who hadn't really had a good time. <laughs> Obviously, Kamali yeah. never really played me. Uh, I, I didn't do myself justice, but uh, it wasn't as if he was very forthcoming giving me opportunities at Kamarnock. So, uh, you, you know what it's like. The first day he comes in and he, he speaks to you and he's like, oh, look, clean slate. And the fact that he even said that, you're thinking, here we go again, sort of thing. <laughs> this is, if you don't say that, you just get on with it. And that, that is a clean slate. You don't actually yeah. have to say it. So, uh, right away, you're kind of thinking, oh, here we go. And again, I didn't really play much under him between then and under the end of the season. So you're going, here we go, <laughs> back to square one again. Yeah. Obviously, inevitable, we get relegated. I think when he came in, it was pretty much, I know we kind of won some games and we probably be improved second half of the season. But um, ultimately, we mm-hmm. beat Easter Road, I think, Monday Night Football, if I remember right. Yeah. Uh, it was a really if, we, if, we'd won, if we'd won that game, I think we'd have stayed up. But we'll, again, we were only good enough on the night and we got beat. Did we not go 3 0 down after about 30 minutes or something? Aye, something like that. Aye, well, certainly it wasn't. We didn't turn up basically yeah. on the day. Um, so we obviously get relegated again. Yeah. The manager's calling people in for individual. Again, I was on a good contract at yeah. Dunfermline and he's, he said yeah, I could go. He said I'd, I'd another year. He's, but he said he, for my money, he could get in two players and he wanted to, wanted to get off me. I said, well, that's fine, but obviously I'm not going to go unless it's right for me. And of course. You've got to kind of be selfish in that, that situation so that's where it, it kind of happened so there's a couple of things over the summer but nothing that I really wanted to go and do so I went back to pre-season again I'd made sure I was going back the fittest and I was really at the front of all the running and I was in right good shape and started the pre-season games well I'd scored in all the games and I was I was up for the challenge to prove mm-hmm. them wrong sort of thing and Neil McCann would come in as a coach um, I don't even think he was on the payroll he was just there sort of helping yeah. And, and, yeah. and learning I think for his own kind of coaching managerial career and he, he couldn't believe like he's like what is the situation like why does the manager not rate like it's a no brainer like you're you're fat you can score like I couldn't yeah. so he says look just keep your head down keep doing what you're doing I'll get in the Jets here I'll, I'll, I'll speak to him I'll, I'll try and change his opinion of you and I was like okay so he did to be fair to him it was Neil McCann that sort of and then I, I got in the team and I started mm-hmm. in the team and I, I, I was doing well in the team and Jim Jeffries seemed to kind of want me and I, I ended up becoming quite an important player in his dressing yeah. room that, that next year obviously we you know the, the trouble start but yeah. it, I actually became quite a prominent member of his team and it, it was Neil McCann that changed his opinion obviously I did well on the pitch and scored goals but yeah. it wouldn't have mattered what I did unless I think Neil Is McCann that, I think he just formed an opinion about me and he's quite stubborn obviously mm. as everybody kind of knows yep. or doesn't know him he's a stubborn guy and, and he just um, yeah, he just wasn't for seeing anything other than what he thought yeah. I was and Neil McCann changed it for me so brilliant um, aye, it, was, it was good and that season 12-13 pretty much with the same squad start that first division campaign absolutely flying don't we well right good side he'd yeah. sign boys like Josh Falkingham Andy Gagan like from lower leagues that kind of proven and hungry again yeah. with a good match of experience like Andy Dowie Stephen Jordan had come up from down south Jordan McMillan mm. we had a, a really good mix we were a good team obviously Partick were a good side as well that year and they were up there at the top of the league with us and it had been a good I think it would have been a good fight because they were a, a good team under Jackie McNamara as well yeah 
Um, but it would have been interesting to see just who would have come out on top if it ever been equal. But obviously the wheels come off and yeah, and that's who. When did you guys first start hearing? October. October, the 2012. I always remember Gavin Masterton up at Petrivi come in to the kind of lunchroom and uh, we'd been called down. <coughs> we'd none the wiser, it was sort of midway through the month. Um, we'd obviously paid at the end of the month. And it was sort of midway through the month and he came and he stood in front of us all and said, look, just want to be honest and upfront with you, there's an issue with cash flow, but we're due this money from whatever, our sponsors, or SPFL, next month, so as of next month, it's all good, but we might have to just pay part of your wage this month and catch up. And some boys are going, we're not on a lot of money, really, you could have kind of yeah. thought. It's not like when other like Hearts players are on two or three grand a week and they can maybe go a few months without getting paid it wasn't like that at Dunfermline we weren't earning that sort of money so it was sore but I think the boys appreciated that he stood up there and fronted it up and kind of was proactive with it and, and let us know it was coming so boys could maybe plan for it a wee bit um, so that's fine you can take it as face value but so sure enough end of the month we got I can't remember half a wage whatever mm-hmm. it was and you're going right okay we'll catch up and back then November came there was all these stories like <clears throat> Mo the kit man, uh, washing powder had been cut. He used to buy so many bags and he'd only been, uh, you know, things, we daft things and you go, aye, aye, sons at the right time here. you don't think anything of it, but you kind of have a laugh about it. But then as thinking back, you go, they were telltale signs that things were, that wasn't right. Yeah. So there was loads of wee things like that, but then obviously November came and went, never mm-hmm. got paid. <laughs> December came and went, got 20%, and it's like, <sighs> boys are starting to really feel feel it then yeah. Potts mentioned a story at Christmas when Gavin spoke to you about oh don't worry we're selling Christmas trees at the ground and all the players just went that was it that was like the final straw ah there was to be honest Gav that Gavin never came back again that was the only right. time he faced us up and it was October he never seen him again he never stood there and fronted it up at any other point I can't remember. I remember the Christmas tree store. I don't think it was Gavin that, that right. said that to us, but there was something happening in the Christmas trees. And like, it got to a stage, I think it was in maybe January, February, and we had maybe two or three cars coming through from Glasgow with a lot of Western West boys. And I think we got to a point where we literally could not afford the petrol to come to training. It's ridiculous. And the boys were like really struggling. I remember myself, I was, really, I was talking to somebody yesterday about this, just about finance and football and mm-hmm. that kind of stage where where we got to, obviously I had a bit of savings behind me and stuff, but you know, you're not earning enough to kind of eat into that. My, my wife's a teacher, so we're kind of relying on her wage and it was it was tough. We didn't have any money, mm-hmm. basically. And I think we got to a point one day and we came into training and the boys were that despondent. We said, look, enough's enough. We need to do something here. And I think collectively we'd sort of spoken to the senior ones. We'd went and speak, spoke to Jim Jeffries. He was very good, what I would say to him. Like, obviously... He had a, a duty to the club to be the manager and get us to perform on the pitch, but he, he was fully behind us. He really went up my estimations the way he kind of dealt with that situation as a player. Relationship with a manager, he, he fought for us at every, every yeah. turn. Did he not forfeit his wages as well going I think forward? he did. I to think he did. like the young boys and stuff. I think he did, aye. I think he did. There was something about that, aye, I remember. Um, but anyway, so I came to this point where the boys said, look, we're not training. We can, we, enough's enough. Like, we need to put a foot down here. It was like a Wednesday or a Tuesday. We, and we say, look, we're not training. We're making a stance here. We need to get, we need something needs to happen here. So, manager, like, look, we've got a big game on Saturday. I would rather he's train, but if that's the decision you want to make, then I'm fully behind you. I'll, I'll back you all the way. Mm-hmm. So that's what he did. The boys didn't train. We kind of sat about 
you know, in Mo's office and we just had a laugh, laugh and tried to make light of the situation but we refused to train. So the manager then passed that information back to the board and they said, look, the boys are refusing to train. So that day we got, I think it was 20% of our wages went in that day, like right away because we'd refused to train. And like, if that's what you can do, like the money come from somewhere, like, yeah. you know, f find the money to pay yeah. boys who have not been paid for four months. It, it was, it was, it wasn't a good times. No. Um, so that was the kind of final straw. And then obviously the whole administration kicks off. We yeah. we played Falkirk that night. I always yeah. tell a story on a Tuesday night at East End. And I don't know how he's managed to still be no. focused on playing football at that point. Yeah, they are, to be fair. I mean, we obviously you're preparing for the game that day. You're not in training. So you're sitting at home and Sky Sports News, or administrators are walking into East End and you're going, I've got a game tonight. Mm -hmm. um, you didn't know what was happening. I always remember sitting in the, the, the change room and the ref was, is it George Salmon, his name is? Yeah, it rings a bell. Something yeah. like that. I think that's the guy, and I can see his face. And he walked in to the chain room, he came in to speak to him, what's the kitchen you're wearing? What's the go? Oh, that nonsense. And he actually went round and shook everyone's hand. He said, Guys, wow. I don't know how he's doing this. It's incredible. Like, I always, always stuck in my mind to him. He was really, really Didn't good. Didn't to do that. No, nah, he was really compassionate. And, and he said, Look, you know, um, fair play to I don't know how he's managed to kind of go out and prepare for a game. But we did, and ugh, we were shells ourselves, really. We didn't really. Your head's not in it, is it? 2 0, I think we got beat on the night. Um, but ugh, it was near, yeah. it was near the game couldn't end quick enough, really, to be honest. Yeah. And then obviously, you're, you're going home and you're told to report the next day, I think 10 o'clock or something, yeah. to find out your fate. And oh. everybody's in the big room. And the, what was that day like? Oh, horrendous. Horrible. So you see the photos of you guys coming in as a group, aye. and you can just tell on your faces, like. Aye, we didn't sleep much. I know after a game, I'm, I'm not really good to be sleeping anyway when you've played a, a midweek game, but aye, you're, with that hanging over your head, there was, there was zero sleep. So you're turning up, and <clears throat> we're travelling through in the cars. I say those boys kind of knew what was happening, that it was going to be the kind of top earners that were going to take the hit. And they needed a team to play throughout yeah. the season. They knew the younger ones would come into it and the guys on less money. So we kind of knew, dress rooms know, know what people earn, but they kind of know the ones that are at yeah. the top of the bracket. Aye, aye. So we kind of knew the, the players that were probably going to be hit with it. Um, so I, you're, you're, you go into the, we, we walk in and we sit in the, the hospitality suites and you're, you're all just sitting there and staff everybody wasn't it just players it was uh -huh. a whole shebang was all sitting there and they just stood up and read a read a list of names come with us and you had to go into one of the other uh, little uh, boxes at the front and so were you going in groups or one by one or no no it's the ones that were getting made redundant I had to follow one of the, the ladies for the administrators and just they says oh you guys have been made redundant so you got a call into one of the boxes all of us together collectively uh, didn't even do it individually but I had sort of said uh, I'd sort of thought about it and as I said we kind of knew the ones that were going to be let go Yeah. and I'd sort of come to and I think we had to sign with somebody this was like the 28th of March or something uh, like that I had to sign with somebody the registration window closed yeah. or else you wouldn't play into the next season so I'd kind of spoke to my mum and dad spoke to the, the missus at the time and sort of come to the thing where look I'm going to play for free because I thought where am I going to go it's you know I need to play football to get a club next summer yeah like whatever is going to happen I need I need to be playing so I thought a chance of me getting another club between now and Sunday or Monday whatever it was was slim so I, I thought I'll, I'll play for free free and I'd spoke to obviously Andy Dowie's my brother-in-law mm -hmm. so I'd spoke to him and I'd say look this is what I, I'm going to do and he, and he was kind of turning and fro and he was going to do it as well but then he decided like, I'm not going to do it I, I need to kind of earn and I'm going to try and get another club and take the chance so that was fine 
So they said, and when they read us all out, and they said, oh, user all being made returned, they said, if anybody wants to speak to Brian Jackson, administrator, um, you can do so mm-hmm. on your own sort of thing. So I said, like, I would like to speak to him. So then I had to kind of wait about, and oh, it was horrible. It was like tears, and uh, even the boys yeah. that were getting kept, it was horrible for them, because they were all young boys, and they didn't really know what was going on, and yep. we were more experienced, but still a horrible situation. But the staff were in there as well. I know, terrible, yeah. You know, it was like the staff were getting let go, not, not just the football staff, like all the other staff. It was everybody in the one room. It was really cold how they, they kind of done it, to be honest. I suppose they're outsiders or administrators coming in, they, they don't care. No, they've got a job got to do. A job to of course they do. You can't criticise them, they're there to yeah. do what they do. That's, that's, when it gets to that stage, it's beyond any this help sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so I did speak to Brian and I said about playing for free but I couldn't it was insurance or something like that right. they wouldn't insure me or I can't remember some some sh- paperwork yeah. ah, it, was, it was a load of nonsense so I, I couldn't even do that and I wasn't able to do it so that was us we were at a job and you had two or three days to find find a new club or else you were idle till, till June yeah, you end up going to Dundee. Did you have other clubs' interest? Or I, was it I, tough there was, for you? Uh, no, the, 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 I was lucky. There was two or three clubs that got in contact. I think they were all kind of aware of the situation and and um, they'd got in contact. But it was Neil McCann again. John Brown was the manager at Dundee and Neil McCann had, mm-hmm. had put a word in to Bomber for me and ended up signing there. They were obviously I moved back up to the Premier League and they were in the Premier League and uh, I managed to sign. I was... It was pennies. I wasn't earning a lot of money. They didn't have any budget, but they they seen it as an opportunity to get another player that might kind of help them. They were trying to stay in the, in the Premier League at the time, and yep. and I went back there and to the end of the season, and, yep. and earned some sort of money. Travel <laughs> <laughs> expenses, pretty much. Yeah. It was it was peanuts. Honestly, it was peanuts. The good yeah. thing was um, they were trying to stay in the league, so the board did um, double bonus, and they actually won a lot of games. We won five eight, out of eight games or something to try right. to make a fist it to stay in the league. And I, I was a sub. I hardly play. I played once or something. But the subs got the full bonus as well. So actually, I'd done okay with it mm-hmm. in the end. Because as I say, I would have covered my petrol and that would have been it. Probably yeah. what I was actually earning. So yeah. And then after that, you have a stint at Livingston and then Morton. And then by this point, the Fairman's been out of administration. The fundraising's began. John Potter's now in charge. Yeah. Former teammate. So how does the move come about to to rejoin the Fairman? And what I was <coughs> going to ask was that. Because I remember you getting interviewed at the time when you joined Offell and you said it was an easy decision for you. Yeah, yeah. What, how, how was that an easy decision considering what you'd been through previously? I, I, I think I, I talk about this quite often. I loved my time at Dunfermline. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, because I got relegated and then we went into administration, I got made redundant, so I should not love my time at Dunfermline. <laughs> going with what happened, it wasn't exactly a very happy period in my career, but I did, I just felt a real connection to the club. And yeah. Actually, when I went back at in the January I was actually going to go in the summer again Neil McCann Jim yep. Jeffries was still the manager at the time and Neil McCann had, had phoned me up and said look what, what are you doing because I'd signed with Livingston late I'd been on trial over in Holland to a Dutch Premier League team Heracles uh, and then I'd been on trial at Fleetwood and I, they were keeping me hanging on there was a deal going to be there and but then the, a deal never transpired and I didn't have a club like I was really really late the season had kicked off mm-hmm. by the time I signed with Livy um, I'd kind of got it wrong I took a gamble on getting one of these trials uh, successful but so I didn't really have much options so I'd signed with Livy they didn't have any money so again I signed for peanuts to the just to the January it was a good opportunity for me to get playing games put myself in the shop window and just see where we are um, and it wasn't really a big financial outlay for them to get me in so 
So I, I signed there, but quite early on, uh, Neil McCann had phoned me and said, look, I know you're only just signed to January, what, what's your plans? I said, well, I said, I don't know. I said, lovely, John McGlynn had come in and mm-hmm. he, he wanted to keep me and he'd offer me a contract beyond the end of the, to the end of the season. I said, but I don't know. He said, look, would you come back to Dunfermline? I said, 100%, I would. He said, right, don't sign anything. Just keep keep his, um, you know, in the loop and stuff. So yeah. it, it never... It never transpired, um, so that never happened. So then we assigned me Levy to the end of the season. Again, injuries horrendous, never played much football. So you come to something again, you're scratching about trying to get a club and trying to get a job, yeah. earn a living. So I signed me Morton. And then that obviously, again, that Jim Jeffries is still the manager, but then Potsy gets the job, I think, just before Christmas or yeah, December. Yeah. yeah, something like that. And then right away, he'd be on the phone saying, Look, you can buy. I said, I don't think Morton are going to let me go. Like, I'm in their team, I was a captain. I said, I'd be surprised if yeah. Jim Duffy lets me go. But Jim Duffy was really good. I, I really like Jim Duffy. He's quite a straight guy. And I said, look, I'll speak to him. I'll go and speak to him. And, and I could say they had the opportunity and there was a coaching kind of role with under 20s at the time. And and I said to him, and he said, what, what do you want to do? I said, I'd like to go back. Like I'm no interested in going to any other club, but Dunferman and there's a coaching opportunity going forward. I'd like to go back. And he says, right, we'll make it happen. He says, I don't have a player that doesn't want to be here. Like, I understand, I've yeah. been a player. I've wanted moves that I didn't get. And he said, I'm not going to fight to keep somebody that doesn't want to be here. Yep. I understand, I appreciate why you want to do it. So he's really good and really good fair. Yeah. He said, but what I need to do is I need to get somebody in before I can let you go. So they end up saying Peter McDonald and then they eventually let me let me yep. go. Did yeah. Ross Forbes not move swap more deal more as yeah. well? So they agreed because it was a fee. Obviously, I was still in contract and they wanted a fee and... And they came to some agreement with Ross Foles, went the other way. Yeah. yeah. So what was it like going back to Dunfermline at this point? What was what was it like around the club? Was it more positive than... It was, it was really positive. I mean, we were only performing that great on the pitch, obviously, but and Potts had come in, but the place itself was brilliant. The training was great. Like, Neil McCann, John Potter, great bubbly characters. The squad was good, kind of young, youthful. There was a lot of players that had been there before when I was there. It was a great place to be every day, mm-hmm. despite no winning games. Um, so... You kind of and you look around the team. You go, we can, we can, we can get, we can still win this league. Yeah. You know, we can go on a run and there's well good enough to to, to kind of win this league. Even in January time, we're not that far detached. Um, but I just never, never happened for any as we underachieved we, as a squad. We let Potsy down. We, we we just did, and that's you know as a friend, obviously, can I work with him now? But yeah, he, he, we just didn't do enough, myself included. We weren't good enough, um, and it was really quite no nice times. So. Mm-hmm. One positive though, you said earlier about scoring on your debut. You done it again. Uh, aye. Aye. Second debut for Dunfermline and you scored again. Aye, I can always just tend to score. I don't know what it was, but aye, I did. Um, aye. Didn't score many goals when I come back, to be fair, but aye, I managed to get a, a, a few goals. Mm-hmm. And Michael Moffat was up front at that point as well. How was your relationship with Michael? So Michael Moffat was obviously... He, he'd scored a lot of goals, he'd quite a coup for, for Dunfermline to yeah, get him, but he never was. really hit off from there in terms of goal scoring. He was he was contributing to the team, but people were kind of criticising him for not getting goals. And partly, like, when Potsy said, come back, like, like you and Moff up front, he'll be a great foil, you, you know, you can sort of lead the line and allow him to kind of score goals because he's been kind of doing it, and that's not him, he's not a, an out and out sort of target man, lead the line type striker. So that, that was sort of part of the plan that we were going to. But again, just never never happened for him, for me, for the team. We just weren't playing well and it never really kicked off. But that was a big... I remember speaking to him off, saying, look, come on, we'll, we'll score the goals to get us promoted here and like we'll, 
be good for each other and, and all that but again just never happened and it seemed his confidence was, was quite low yeah. Yeah, it was rock bottom he didn't want to get in the box he was out wide yeah, every time I used to speak to him stay in the box like you're not going to score goals out there but I, I've been there myself as a player but when you're younger you, you kind of sh- no shy away you're not intentionally doing it but mm-hmm. you just subconsciously take yourself out of positions where you're going to miss a chance or score a chance Yeah. but he was just that he was just that's where he was and collectively as a team we lacked confidence and yeah. we're just in a really bad run yeah, and you mentioned when you rejoined the opportunity to get involved with the coaching. So what did that involve in? So I took the twenties, myself and Jim Patterson, who was there at the time. Yeah. He's kinda of struggling with injury and whatever and we kinda of shared responsibility, although Patty kinda of work commitments outside, he'd, he'd get a job and it ends up becoming just myself kinda of that did it. But um it was good, I enjoyed it. Um got a wee buzz for it. I'd never really thought of myself for getting into coaching, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I'd started my degree at that point, so I seen my 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 future, still in football or in sport, but no kind of in the coaching, more in the kind of business side of it. Yeah. Um, but that I got that opportunity and and I and I really enjoyed it. Really got a buzz for it, and I thought, you know, this could be something going forward. Um, I really did get a, an appetite for it, but it was difficult to try to play and do that. It's a big commitment. You're trying yeah. to go back out in the afternoon with the young boys, and we didn't have a big squad, so the young boys are sort of training. They're part of the first team squad. They're, they're making up the bench every week, and yeah. you're trying to take six or eight of them away and go. I'm getting boys out of school, like Callum Smiths and people mm-hmm. like that, to try and make up the a team yeah. to go and play. Well, these um, boys were 15 at the time. Yeah, they were in school. Of the 19s and 20s. So they were trying. They were. They would always come in like one day a week. I'd kind of day release. They'd kind of done that for a few years, like Spencey and yeah. Finn Graham and all that had done it, and they can continue. So it was always part of their kind of training week, but. You're getting them out of school to go and travel up to play in Vaness, and that was tough because it was just financially they, they dictated you had a yeah. small squad, and that's what you had to do. Yeah, but it was a big work, big commitment, and you couldn't really be focused on being a player because you were kind of one eye on the game that Tuesday or whatever you were doing. It was interrupting your training yeah. schedule as well, so it wasn't the ideal in hindsight. What, what I'd rather yeah. have just focused on one or the other, basically. You see that quite a lot with <clears throat> players slash managers, don't you? Who who involve obviously still playing the first team but also the manager it's either one or the other isn't it's it it's tough aye it's tough because you're coming in in the morning as a player and all you're focused on getting yourself ready to train and doing the training session preparing for the game at the weekend but you throw into the mix that you've got an afternoon session to plan with the 20s and it's just kind of me myself I just couldn't get into the rhythm yeah. of it didn't really have very long at it maybe over time it would have been better mm-hmm. but I just didn't have just, just didn't work for me and I, I just could not get myself into into a routine or a rhythm, a rhythm. did you realise after that you, the coaching maybe wasn't for you I think um, obviously because Potsy never got the job and Alan Johnson come in and if, yeah. I think if Alan Johnson had wanted me to continue I probably would have I don't know if it had ever been long term because I, I always fancied the kind of business side of football but I'd have probably continued I'd have probably stayed on but ultimately yeah. he came in he wanted to bring his own staff and stamp his own authority and the, the squad and stuff so again there was not a contract there for me anyway so yeah. so I who knows what would have happened but probably ultimately I would not I'd have stepped yeah. away from the uncertainty I mean we talked there about clubs and changing clubs I couldn't I couldn't do that anymore mm-hmm. uh, I wasn't I didn't have any kids at the time but I was getting married and you're going like I can't it's not just me anymore I'm no selfish I've got I can't be selfish I've got responsibilities I can't just live year to year so I need some sort of yeah. continuity and, and and I think coaching's even worse than a player isn't it yeah. you can be out a job a manager and stuff in less than a year so at least with a, a playing contract you've got a year year to year but aye so it didn't really suit me I, I kind of lost my 
yeah. appetite for the game. I'd locked the fire in the belly. I'd sort yeah. of gone by that point. Probably even from, if you look back, from the administration thing. Yeah. I think I don't think I was ever the same player after that, to be honest. Um, and I think you just start... Because I'd started looking at my degree and stuff yeah. from that point. So I think probably had one eye on. And I think when you're a player and you've got one eye on something else, it, it doesn't always work, work yeah. out that good. So you had a wee stint, you leave Dunfermline, <clears throat> a wee stint at, at Albion Rovers, but you obviously, like you say, you're studying at this point yeah. uh, for your degree. But going back, leaving Dunfermline, it's like just going back to what you said earlier, you had two spells at Dunfermline, obviously both spells were really tough. Yeah. But for some reason, you had that affinity and affection for Dunfermline that you Aye. still speak about now when no, we've no, been chatting. No. Yeah, yeah, I don't know why, to be honest. Mm. I, I, I really can't answer it, I shouldn't. There's, there's <laughs> no there's no logic behind it, I really shouldn't. But I think it's just the, the, the people and the, the, the club itself. It, and, until you're actually been inside it, you don't actually realise yeah. just how big an institution it is. And it's a really big club but it's also friendly there's a lot of good people work there and, yeah. you know you meet some good people who are still friends to this day and obviously kind of working in the area now and being involved you see these people and it's like it's all it's as warm a welcome as it was back then when you were playing it's, it's just yeah. it's just a good good club to be around it's just an enjoyable kind of place to be and I, 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 as I say it makes makes no sense to me or anyone else but it just I just really have a real affection with the club I think obviously for yourself now with the the, the business side you, you probably mm-hmm. see the, the potential in Dunfermline and you know if the right things are getting done the right people etc etc that club could really yeah could really I mean go. listen ultimately what happens on the pitch is going to drive everything and that's a bit you can't control so it's really really difficult but I think there is huge potential the fan base you've seen it this year they're turning out in their numbers it, it's it, it, it's it's a huge club it's a sleeping yeah. giant people use that term but it genuinely is if you could get back to the Premier League and stay there then it would kick on and you'd be challenging top six you really would because there's there's that fan base you've got 3,000 yeah. people buying yeah. a season ticket there or thereabouts yeah, every yeah. year that gives you a right good a right good head start in the game definitely um, you know look at Motherwell and people like that they're no bigger clubs than Dunfermline they aren't they've just been able to stay at a level and sustain a bit of success and probably operated better off the pitch and that's yeah. probably allowed them to stay at a level yep. on the pitch there's been a lot of upheaval um, obviously there's a kind of new regime um, with the Germans and stuff at Dunfermline and you know tough one last year getting relegated but let's see if they go back up and, and they can kick on again and um, we'll see but you know you really want them to do well obviously Kelty hat on you want to beat them when we play yeah. against them but I'll, I'll be happy if they go and win the league this year you know you will that's because you have that affinity and you can appreciate yeah. just the potential that's there yeah so going back to your football career you, you retire after Albion Rovers you played 22 games and by 2017 mm-hmm. so looking back at your football career overall what, what are those special moments what's that kind of the, the moments you look back on and think I can't believe I've done that or played in the Premiership I was yeah. on Match of the Day. I sat at home with my dad watching myself on Match of the Day. Like we'd grown up, getting on the couch with your dad watching Match of the Day and and I, I was on it. I sat there and watched myself on Match of the Day coming on. It was eight minutes, but I said, who cares? I've, I've played in the Premiership. Obviously, all, all the other things you can achieve down there to get to that level, it's tough to to even be on the fringes of your first team in the Premiership with the amount of money and um, all that that's gone about down there so that was a, a, a good fun mm-hmm. period to look back and obviously Ross County scoring goals and it was a really successful period from up there the, the Scottish Cup final things like that it was it was incredible really to, to kind of do the things yeah 
a lot better players than me will never play in a Scottish Cup final. You know, have great careers and just never ever get to that. So to kind of do that, it, it's it's only when your career finishes you look mm-hmm. back and you think that that was really quite special what you achieved yeah. there and had some great times and had some low times in football as well. But you listen, you would never change it. It's it's kind of shaped who I am today and it's given me opportunities in life and I've seen a lot of places and did a lot of things and met a lot of people that you know, wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for, mm-hmm. for football. So I've been very fortunate. Uh, as I say, I wasn't the most gifted players, but I've prided myself being a good pro and I, I'm proud of what I achieved in my career and looking back and, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of what I did. Brilliant. Is there any goals throughout your career that that's really stand out for you? Absolute peaches. I probably scored my first like goal at Crew Football League. You know, kind of announcing yourself as oh, scoring. And it was a championship. I was playing an English mm-hmm. championship. Eighteen. It's a. It's again. It's kind of kicked on now, but it was still a huge league back in the days. And you know, getting that first goal, you can say you're, you've kind of arrived. You know, you've scored that first goal as a as a professional footballer. It's it just meant a lot to me. And as again, it was on kind of. Not on my debut, but my first starting debut. Yeah. Um, so I, it was a great achievement as an eighteen-year-old. Ah, there's been a few other goals that have just been kind of really, at the time, really meant something. You know, going back to Inverness and scoring against Inverness as a Dunfermline player yeah. and things like that. It was just goals within that made made it feel really, really kind of special. Eh? Mm-hmm. What about teammates over the years? Who's been your who's your close pals in football? Uh, you meet a lot of people in football not a lot of them become friends but I've kind of got a core group probably from my time at Dunfermline and, and Ross County probably is the kind of main ones even back to Birmingham days as YTSs there's boys that you know from all different parts of the UK and will meet up occasionally and still reminisce and kid on with 18 again and <laughs> And uh, yeah, things like that over the next day. Ah, well, of course, the hangovers <laughs> are worse nowadays. But I, but no, nah, you meet you meet lots of. But you can probably count on your your two hands actual true friends that you meet in football. But there, there is, I do have a kind of core group, and it's probably from the kind of Ross County and Dunfermline days. Obviously, Andy Dowie's my brother-in-law, so mm-hmm. I've got we've got to see each other, <laughs> even if we don't like it. <laughs> Brilliant. And then you spoke about obviously doing your degree in the in the <clears> sports <throat> business and. Uh, and market and all that kind of stuff you then get a, a job with Joma as the brand manager so obviously I got to know you really well through that period yeah. but tell the listeners what, what that job involved um, so again I, I'd went and done my degree it was sort of four and a half years but then you get to the end of that and you try to get a job and I couldn't get a job Like I, I'd never had a job in my life I'd been a footballer and I'd went and studied and you think go on earning a degree I'll, I'll, I'll get you a job easy it doesn't work like that it's especially when you've no no CV to kind of back it up. So I, opportunity, I'd been applying for lots and lots of jobs, getting absolutely nowhere. Again, it was a tough period in my, uh, my life. My wife had just got pregnant with her first our, our little boy, and aye, it was tough, it was no lie, but then I, I always a great believer, everything kind of happens for a reason, and opportunity come up with Joma, I applied for it. Uh, I was sort of through a recruitment company, and they kind of asked, do you know who Joma is? I said, yeah, I know who Joma is. <laughs> I've wore the kit. Yeah. So kind of went through the process, got the job, and it was great. I really learned a lot. I was still involved in football or sport on a daily basis. It's a really good company to work for. It's kind of enjoyable. You know, I always joke, I sell football socks for a living, but I tell you, it's, it's good because no day is the same. You're, you're, you're speaking to kind of like-minded people that's involved in sport. I was able to be around a lot of football clubs, a lot of other sporting organisations and learn because ultimately I, you know, I kind of wanted to go on a, a certain path. I'd hoped to go on a certain path yeah. in my own kind of second career and that opportunity allowed me to gain a lot of 
build a network, gain a lot of knowledge that you know kind of allowed me to kind of go on and kind of on the path I'm on now. So yeah. So part of that role, you were obviously helping choose kits for clubs, and yeah. sort of training gear and. Obviously, merchandise for the shops and what Aye. club? What clubs were you involved with through Joma? So Dunfermline, obviously, kind of most notable at that point. Dunfermline, Partick Thistle. Um, actually, kind of grown my time there. We had we had three, I think, the professional clubs. I think we were up to 12, 14, something like that. By the time I left, um, obviously, different levels within the SPFL. But out of the forty yeah. two teams, that's a, re- a a really good achievement. I felt we. I think we kind of Joma have got a really good, strong name in the kit. In Scotland, and I felt I hope that I can have played a big part in that. But it was great. Obviously, Dunfermline was always, you know, I knew more, so yeah, <laughs> I was used to most shouting and swearing at me, so it was no different when you try to sit and pick kit, and you could never make them happy. But that's just more, and that's the way it is. As but long as it was blue from uh, memory uh, for training, that was, uh, was happy uh, with yeah, that, wasn't I it? I don't know where that come from. And I, by the way, I don't even think Mo could tell you where that come from. <laughs> he just liked to, he just had it in his head, but. Ah, listen, that's you get characters on football and they're all kind of stuck in their ways. And yeah. but it was really good and I enjoyed it. It was enjoyable to kind of work with clubs and I, I kind of thought always tried to keep that kind of player's head on and what worked. It wasn't always about. I tried to get a happy medium what sells and what yeah. players would like to wear and things like that. So I think it kind of worked well in that respect that you had that wee bit of knowledge mm-hmm. and you could some someone might sound good, a good idea to someone, but you're actually. Been in that other situation, you can sort of say, "Well, but what about this?" And so I, I think it worked. I think it. I think it was pretty successful, and I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it, my yeah. job there. It was it was great coming to work for, and the day to day was really enjoyable. Yeah, and the wee trips to Spain were, were no bad as well. Weren't we, they? We, we've experienced a couple, haven't yeah. we? So <laughs> I um, had some good times out there. Again, good company. Look after your customers and their staff, and um, really treat them well. And you know. I think with brands as well, it's always a bit of, it's not just buying kit from them, giving them your money. I think it, it, you've, there's got to be a bit more of a partnership. I think Joma do that really well. I think they actually work with yeah. clubs and you actually feel as if you've got a say in what happens. I know like Nike and Adidas maybe can do that, but I think Joma are a you know, massive company. Um, until you actually go there and see it, you don't actually appreciate just how yeah, big they are. Definitely. I think people in Scotland kind of, at times, don't really realise how big they are. I think maybe more so now they are, but it's a real partnership. They actually work with clubs and you know give them a say in kit design yeah. instead of just templates and things like that. So no, I think I think it's um, it was enjoyable. I think we always grown up as well with design kits, didn't we? We'd always definitely yeah. we'd always sit and draw draw your your favourite strip and. And colour it in with the colours you wanted and stuff. So we're sort of kind of doing that in real life. So yeah, it was good. And you told me before, obviously they got the Hibs deal, which was massive for Joma. Yeah. But they were quite close to getting a couple of other big big clubs in Scotland, weren't they? Yeah, it'd been frustrating um, myself. Obviously, again, it was that sort of stigma, that snobbery around Joma. People kind of looked down their nose about it, especially at a certain level. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it'd been really close. Um, put a lot of work and years of work and try to build the brand and get to a level where you could even get to the table on these things and we'd kind of got there and we'd been we'd sort of hit the post to use a football analogy on a couple of occasions with these big high level clubs um, but the Hibs one was was really great I pulled a lot of time and effort and everyone involved in, in, in Joma did it and it was just the right time for the club yeah. and for the brand and, and, they, and they went they went for it and I think it's been a huge success. I think I've some designed some nice kits and Definitely, it's really yeah. taken the Joma brand up, I think, a level yeah, to it's kinda of changed that mindset. It has, I mean, people's perception of who they are and 
what they can sort of achieve. It's no disrespect yeah. to the clubs that had been with Joma for a long time and Odenfermo had been there from almost the start, like nine years, I think. Yeah. This season is maybe even ten. Ten, I think, yeah. Um, so it's a long time. Um, and they helped build the brand as well. That's what gave Joma its foothold in the grassroots market. Yeah. Obviously now the business, Joma's really strong in Fife. And it's because of Dunfermline, okay, Wraith Rovers have come in, East Five and people that latterly, but it's because of Dunfermline that Joma do so well in grassroots. Yeah, they recognise the brand, don't they? do, because it's, it's aligned with Dunfermline, and that's yeah. where it gets its, its sort of kudos from. So, no, it's been really good, and, and again, we'll see what happens next year. Yeah, so you then leave Joma, <laughs> and uh, what you're doing now, you've got kind of two jobs now, so yeah. you're managing director at the soccer shop, which is in Recife, so you're yeah. back near Dunfermline. But you're you're back involved in football, obviously. You're sporting director at Kelty Hearts. So, yeah. how did that move come about? First, first of all, so obviously uh, the soccer shop had started as a company. Uh, the owner is also the owner at Kelty, uh, Dean McKenzie, and we'd sort of formed just a sort of business relationship. We'd always talk about football. We'd end up being on the phone for an hour, and really what we were actually on the phone for was five minutes in terms of business. And we just kind of hit it off. We shared the same views. We were quite we could argue, not argue, we could disagree on things, we could agree on things, and we just, you know, you just meet someone that you just sort of kind of bounce off in terms of professionally and fo football, and, and that's what I kind of found with, with, with Dean and myself. We just, yeah, we're just, I think we're just quite a good fit. Mm -hmm. um, the wife always slags me, that's my other wife, but <laughs> we spend so much time with each other and talking on the phone and stuff, but no, nah, just you meet people in life and you, and just with a real connection, and as I say, we'd talk for hours about football and he just kind of floated the idea to me. Um, I'd sort of got to kind of the end of the road with Joma in terms of my progression. I'd sort of hit that glass ceiling. There was nowhere really else for me to go within the company other than maybe moving to Spain, and which mm -hmm. I wasn't really kind of prepared to do. So um, I was just, I'd got a time where I always, I think I'd done it in my career as well. I could easily just stay at clubs. I always wanted to kind of, kind of push on and whether that's right or wrong sometimes it wasn't the right thing to do from a football perspective but you you do it because you want to keep progressing and yeah. I just felt I had to move for my own progression my own career and, and do something different and I needed something to get me up out of bed in the morning and give me that fire and my belly back again and and uh, so I you know I'm really enjoying it it's busy it's Kelty's supposed to be part-time but it, it's <laughs> not part-time there's no part-time jobs in football is there? no it's absolutely not so it's unfortunate I've got a good balance in terms of being a manager here but I really do nothing in here I've got a good team around me and, and they can support that and allow me to have my time and signing players and everything else that's involved at, at, yeah. at Kelty so no it's good it's a good mix it's busy but the, the, the missus might tell you otherwise <laughs> that don't see a lot of uh, having the kids at times but it's enjoyable otherwise why why would you do it really it's, yeah. you pour too much of your life in it if you, did, if you didn't really enjoy it and then you, you wouldn't do it yeah. a sane person wouldn't do it anyway yeah so what does the, the role of sporting director involve you said signing players obviously a big part of that yeah what else is, is keeping I, you busy with, with I think obviously Dean sort of is driven the club there's a great committee there they always talk about the team behind the team but Dean is sort of driven the club and taking it to the level it, it was Dean's obviously got other businesses and a busy man so I think he, he was looking for a, obviously come off the back of the, the Covid and it was a really tough time he'd kind of taken that fight on himself and you know legally in terms of promotion and the SPFL and SFA and all that so it was a really tough time so I think he was just excuse me looking for a, a bit of a help to kind of run the club so sporting director but I, I'll get involved and 
other things that are probably nothing to do with the actual football football side of thing. But I like it. I, I, yeah. I'm learning. I'm I've learned a lot, and I'm very fortunate for the opportunity that Dean has given me because. I have got exposed to things in terms of budgets and mm-hmm. financing and profit and loss, things that you know I probably shouldn't be involved in as in terms of a sporting director, but it's good for me and my learning. I've kind of threw myself in, you know. You know, I think one, one of the first signings I made at Kelty was a safety officer. Like that's nothing to do with a sporting director. Yeah. But I wanted to kind of throw myself into that because yeah. it, it, it was part of my learning and me developing. And I said, Dean's allowed me to kind of do that and give me the opportunity and my place at the club to kind of have have a say in these things and yeah. learning all the time made loads of mistakes it's obviously been good on the pitch in terms of last year winning the, the league by 21 points um, this year's been a different challenge it was always going to come as a club we're always going to kind of let that get to that level where things kind of have to slow down I went 100 mile an hour yeah. um, Kelty for the last 9-10 years so we're kind of at that stage now it was part of the plan that you would get there and then you'd stabilise, build everything round about the club. So that's kind of where we're at at the minute. But it's enjoyable, it's enjoyable now as it is when you're winning leagues by 21 points. So yeah. Otherwise you wouldn't do it. And your ex-manager and teammate John Potter is obviously the manager there. Like you said, he's doing a, he's doing a good job now. He's a, looking good to stay in the league as well. Yeah, he's learning all the time. Again, it's his first job. We actually offered him the job before Kevin Thompson last year and he didn't. it wasn't right for him at the time. We... Jack and they, they went to Hibs and there was a lot of work to be done at Hibs and they just felt he couldn't make that step. I knew he always wanted to be a manager in his own right again and give it a, a grow. I think he had unfinished business after the Dunfermline sort of escapade. But um, no, so we'd offered it then and then when the, the, the job became available again in the summer, um, we spoke to him and I, I think he just kind of bought into what we're trying to do and he's a perfect manager, as I say, we're, we're trying to develop everything around about what happens on a Saturday it's not just about having the best team on the pitch and romping through leagues and winning games we're never going to have the biggest budget again hopefully if we stay at this level or go up so things need to change the model needs to change yep. and he's the, pe- the perfect person for that he makes people better he's individually collectively and the, he pours his heart and soul into the job yep. and, uh, other than just on a training pitch or on a, outside the park on a Saturday so he's a perfect fit for Kelty he understands it, he gets it, he's from a similar village to Kelty and he kind of gets the people and the people get him and, and it, it just works, it just mm-hmm. works. People maybe look at it and go, ah, we've no, what people may have thought we'd come up and win the league or challenge the league. It's, there's a, there's got to change again that perception. People was getting expectancy about Kelty but yeah. people maybe look at it but trust me he's doing a fantastic job and if you look behind this, the scenes that you'll see just exactly what he's building and yeah. for the first time the under 20s are now under our umbrella we've had players come from that the pathways improved you know there's lots of things that we're doing that maybe people don't see because it, it, they're only looking at the results on a Saturday so no it's going well off the pitch um, on the pitch aye we could have been better with a slow start but there was reasons for that again but it's learning as well of course first season at this level and Watsy will be first to admit he's made mistakes. I make mistakes every week. We all make mistakes. We're all learning. It's all new to everybody at Kelty. Even last year, we, there was a lot of things that come up when you come up into the SPFL that needs to change about the club. We had to do it very quickly to try and get up to speed and we're still still working at that. But I think if we can stabilise for the next couple of years and just get all these things together and become become better off the pitch, then it'll help, help what happens on the pitch. So we're in that process and as I say, oh, it's yeah. good. When, you're, when you've got like-minded people and people you trust and believe in then it makes the whole process more enjoyable 
Brilliant. Well, we wish Kelty all the very best, apart from <coughs> playing Dunfermline, of course. We've been unlucky against Dunfermline, I think, <laughs> this year. I think they, obviously we've played really well. They've been tight games, tight, but I think yeah. obviously just the, as we spoke about before, we we come on it, the depth of squad and things like that. It's just kind of took it. It's just paid for Dunfermline in our games against them, yep. despite us putting good performances on and. It just ultimately there's a different level but to us be competing and being on the same pitch and in the same league if anybody had said that five years ago exactly, they called yeah. them mad so it's it's good it's good in that respect Brilliant mate <coughs> and uh, just before we finish we do a, a top five so this applies to your time at Dunfermline uh, only either either spell so the most memorable memorable game you played in Ooh probably at Celtic Park I think we got beat 2-1 in the night yeah. but we run them really close I scored and you know, they were like keeping the ball in the corner and white wasting time and stuff, which is unheard of at Celtic Park the Dunfermline team going there. So that was a that was a really good that was in a good run of form at that point, scoring goals and continued that night and got the goal and so I I'd, I'd say that kinda of probably sticks out for me that night. Brilliant. Who was your best mate from your time at the club? Oh um obviously Andy Dowie, I keep yeah. mentioning him, um He'll be chuffed for the name checks and this Aye, aye, I'm not so sure he's. <laughs> uh, you could give him a million pound and he wouldn't be chuffed. He's just that's his character. But no, he's 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 good. So I were pretty close and we had a wee group that kind of travelled in the car together. So Alex Cardi, we'd been at Ross County together as well. So there was that kind of wee group. I still speak to Andy Kirk quite a lot. Obviously mm-hmm. he's at Breakin. He's doing well, isn't he? He's it? always trying to send players from us. So I speak to him <laughs> pretty regularly and we're always talking and stuff. But aye, I would say probably they, they would be the main ones. Brilliant. And the best player you played against? Oh, some good ones. Obviously, the Rangers and Celtic teams were, were really good. Victor Wanyama and people like that. Mm. Bogera actually was really good for Rangers. He was strong, quick. Centre half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know what I thought was really tough? Russell Anderson, Aberdeen. was a bit of a kind of strange one. Obviously, he had a great career in international and all that. But he, 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 was really, he was really quite clever. David Weir was good as well, yeah. actually. Probably he'd be there. Again, you're thinking, ah, he's, he's 40 year old and ah, I'll run him and he'll not be able to keep up. And But he was just so clever. He knew what you were going to do before you did it. Yep. He just read the just game so well. Yeah. He was in that position. You went to make a run. He was already five yards deeper collecting the ball. And it was just it, just clever. Just that's how he played at the level he did to. Yeah. To he was, what, 42 or whatever Aye. it was. Aye, he was a tough one. Brian, did you ever swap shirts with, with any players? No, my time at Dunfermline, the only shirt I ever swapped was Ross County in the semi-final against Celtic. I got Robbie Keane's shirt. Right, nice. I'd arranged it before. I knew the coach at Inverness was best mates with the kit man <laughs> at Celtic. So I'd kind of all arranged it and, and I got I got that that day. There's a picture I've got it. I'm coming off the pitch and I'm, I'm saying to Robbie Keane, like, you know, shirt. And he's saying, no, no, I've arranged. Somebody's and already getting it. And it's I'm going, me. it's me. You can see the picture. I'm actually <laughs> saying, it's me, it's me. He's like, oh, I'll just get it inside. Obviously, he wanted off the pitch as quick as he could. Of course, he wasn't interested right. in me asking for his shirt. So I, I regret that, to be honest. I wish I'd probably done it more, but... Again, when you're kind of in there, you just want to win, and you mm-hmm. just want it's not really about shots. But when you look back, I probably think I, I should have maybe done that more. Were you one who kept memorabilia for my dad? No, I don't have anything, it's all my mum and dad's house. My dad keeps everything like right away back to when I was boys' club, he nice. had books when I scored, he'd keep res- every result and how many goals I scored in the game, and he's got all that. And like, I, I generally, everything I ever get, anything mm-hmm. I it was always just went to mum and dad's. He's got all my strips for all my teams that I played for. and it's maybe something obviously I've got a, a boy now who's kind of getting into football he's five and it's maybe something I'll look back on with him and it'll yeah. be quite nice to kind of share I, I sometimes stick into YouTube you know kids are all over YouTube and 
he kind of likes putting Andrew Barman in and seeing some seeing all your goals seeing some clips I. so it's quite nice he's now getting to that age and he kind of understands it so brilliant it's really weird that because you said about your dad collect mm. stuff a lot of the players who I've spoken to it's always their dads that keep the scrapbooks the programmes the shirts I, I, I don't know I, 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 again it's just something that never really interested me so yeah. always I would always just give it to him and he's got it all and but you're glad he's kept it all the way. Ah, no, definitely, back aye, definitely, yeah, definitely. Brilliant. And the uh, favourite stadium you played in? Uh, played in, ooh, I played in some big ones down south, obviously, coming coming through. Um, well, Villa Park was always good because it was a Birmingham Villa. Even even reserve games, you'd get five, 6,000 people at the game and it was always good to play. I always tend to score as well, so I always enjoyed yeah. that. But obviously Rangers, Celtic Tynecastle was always good to play yeah. that as well. So, aye, there's, there's a few I couldn't really pick a... Hamden probably as well, you know. But I've played there in an empty Hamden against Queen's Park. Of course. So it's a wee bit different. Wee bit different, aye. Wee bit different. Uh, and your one favourite memory from your, your spells at the club? Ah, difficult again, because I've spoke about it. It's just, there's nothing really stands out in terms of success on the pitch. Um, but uh, it's a difficult one. I couldn't really answer that. Probably going back. Seeing it back the second time, it was probably really... Mm-hmm. I was just so happy to go back, to be honest. It, uh, that's probably, I remember the feeling and couldn't wait to get it done, couldn't wait to get up there and just that feeling of kind of being back, it was probably, I'd probably say that, um, as stupid as it sounds, it was going back, probably yeah. my happiest memory, aye. Brilliant. Well, Andy, on behalf of the former Players Association, thanks for your time. Oh, uh, thanks for having us. Enjoyed reminiscing. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to this podcast, which is available on all popular platforms such as Apple iTunes, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Thanks to our guest in this episode of Walking Down the Holbeef Road. This podcast was produced by Jan Mokiewicz and music supplied by Stuart Dusty Miller. We look forward to speaking to another former part in the next episode.